Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right, so uh, it's a new year. New year means people are trying to create some new habits because uh, they got some bad habits in their lives. And when they set out to do that, uh, sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not. This year, rather than us talk about uh, creating new habits, we want to look at some of our bad habits. Some of our bad habits that, with God's help and God's strength, we can hopefully eliminate from our lives. And we've had this verse that's kind of this, this, um, this prayer that we're inviting you. I hope you've been joining me in praying this prayer that David prayer, prayed in Psalm 139 where he said, God, search me and know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If you haven't been praying that, I would invite you to do so. Maybe snap a picture of it and and begin to join me and join others and pray, God, is there anything in me? Is there anything I do? Are there any bad habits in my life that offend you? Is there anything that you might even call sin but I just call acceptable? Um, Is there anything in my life that offends you, God? Because I don't don't want that there and I want you to show it to me. I want you to reveal it to me and I want to get right with you in those areas. So I hope you are joining me in praying that prayer, God, because I want you to show it to me, and then I want you to lead me in a path that leads to life. Now, to kick off our our topic today, I want to tell you a little bit about um, somebody who was in uh, my youth group back when I was a youth pastor years ago. His name was Billy. And Billy was one of those guys who came to Christ as, as, a, as a teenager, late in his teenage years. And, and Billy did not have a Christian background, didn't have a Christian environment, didn't really, didn't know Christians. His family, he had a, he had a very difficult family upbringing. Uh, he was not a guy, if he were to walk into church, you would look at him, especially back then, you know, people had like a church look. Um, more so than even today. And so he would walk through the doors and you would go, okay, that guy's clearly never been in church before. And so Billy was someone who got saved and, and I loved pouring life into him and sharing life with him and, 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 and watching him grow and develop as a new believer who was just excited about the grace of God. And, and so one of the things that would happen in, in our youth ministry is we were big on encouraging the students to be a part of the whole church. And, and so we would, after our Bible study, we'd come together for one of the services. We'd all sit together, the leaders, me, my, Heather, my wife, and, and, and the students, we'd all sit together and we'd praise God and the whole flow of the church, but then we'd also encourage the students to actively serve with the whole church. And so it came to the point when Billy um, decided he was taking that next step, and so he wanted to serve, and so he was able to join and be a part of serving communion in church. And, and again, I kind of got to set the stage. This is back when, like, instruments just started happening on stage, and, and you know, it was a different era than it is now. And so I can remember, there's Billy, and he's serving communion. And as he's serving communion, he goes to pass the communion tray to a gentleman sitting there, nice and dressed up. And and the gentleman looked at Billy and saw what Billy was wearing. Billy was wearing, uh, and Billy has long hair, um, ripped jeans, all that, which now doesn't matter. Back then, it's kind of a deal. And and, uh, and so he had long hair, and he had on a Megadeth shirt. (laughs) <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah! I mean, that's, that, that, that was Billy's background. He was a drummer, all that kind of stuff. So, so Billy, the gentleman looked up at Billy and said, you can't serve communion wearing that shirt. Billy's a teenager, and this man who loves God, this saint, only saw a shirt and didn't see a soul. 
This saint who loved God didn't see a soul. He saw a shirt. He said, you need to take that off. You can't serve communion. Well, that eventually made its way to me. Billy was crushed, destroyed. So much so, he quit the, he quit the uh, communion team. He didn't want to go to church anymore. He thought he understood a little bit. It was learning the grace of God and all that, and God's gracious, but apparently people aren't. And it took a long time and many conversations and meeting with Billy to help undo the criticism of this individual. This person who was critiquing him, was criticizing him, who, who didn't see the soul, only saw the shirt, didn't see what Billy was becoming, only saw what he used to wear or what he was wearing at the time, and he, was, he literally destroyed Billy. Today we're talking about criticism, being critical of others. Now, when I'm talking about criticism today, I'm not talking about constructive feedback that we give because we care about people and we want to help them get better. I'm not talking about accountability that we often have with brothers and sisters in Christ that adds value into our life. Criticism is not the same as accountability. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. What I'm talking about is the nitpicking, unkind, uninformed, cruel criticism that is one of the more deadly bad habits that are in our lives. Being critical is such a bad habit because not only does it make us unattractive to others, but it hurts, it tears down, and it destroys people, much like that saint destroyed Billy. Now, someone with a critical spirit is prone to complaining, we talked about complaining last week. If you didn't hear it, uh, I'd encourage you to go listen. Maybe you did hear it, and you might want to re-listen again. It'd be worth listening to. Those with a critical spirit are prone to complaining, and they often see the glass as half empty. They often see people's faults more than they see their strengths, and they're quick to cast judgment. Those with a critical spirit, they are no fun to be around. They suck the energy out of the room, and they suck the life out of people. Now, unfortunately, having an awareness of, of the, the, that we are critical ourselves, it's really difficult to see in the mirror because we typically don't recognize that we're criticizing other people. In our minds, we have this unconscious justification in our judgments or our conclusions. We often call them our assessment of the person, our assessment of the situation. Very few people would say that they are critical and that they criticize others. I'm just assessing the situation because after all, if they weren't so bizarre, so weird, so stupid, such a knucklehead, if they would make better decisions, if they were more wise, of course I wouldn't have to draw this conclusion, make this assessment, a.k.a. judge them and criticize them and be critical of them. In other words, what we're saying subconsciously is that we think we are the wise ones, that we know what's best, that we're wise, that we're correct. And since I know what's best, then of course I'm going to criticize the way you raise your kids. 
Of course I'm going to criticize the way you dress, how you drive, what you drive, where you went on vacation, what you bought, what you posted on Instagram, how you handled that business decision, how you, how you conduct ministry, and on and on and on. After all, I'm the authority on all topics, even for your life. Does anybody see the problem with this? What's strange is that we criticize so often, it's such a bad habit, and yet we hate to be criticized by other people, right? You know what I'm saying? We hate to be criticized by other people, and so you would think that the criticism that we've, see, that we've received from other people, and knowing how that makes us feel, you would think that would cause us not to be critical of others, but it doesn't work that way. Why? because it is very difficult to see our criticalness of others in the mirror. It's hard to see it. Now the question is, what does the scripture say about criticism? Uh, I want to kick off looking at a, a very popular verse that I imagine you know or have heard it once you hear it, and, and you're, you're at least familiar with the notion of it. Um, but then we're going to look at the next verse, and the verse after the verse you're familiar with, you're probably not as familiar with. Maybe you've never really even noticed it before. And it starts off, the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Galatia, and here's the familiar part, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul says, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor, everybody say it together, love your neighbor as yourself. Many of us are familiar with that, right? We've heard it. We've said it ourselves. We love that. It feels good, the golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great way to live life. But then Paul goes on and he says this. If you are always biting and devouring, some translations say criticizing and attacking. If you're always biting, devouring, criticizing, attacking one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Another translation says this. If you act like wild animals, hurting and harming each other, then watch out, or you will completely destroy one another. Say the word destroy. You will destroy another. That word bite or criticize, it literally means to lacerate, as in a cut that leaves a mark. It's an actual wound. It's probably why the one translation talks about acting like wild animals, giving us the imagery. In other words, if you're cutting into people, if you're harsh with your words, if you are criticizing people, you are in fact wounding them. You're wounding their soul. You're wounding their spirit. Paul says you're destroying somebody. I want you to think about that. What if your words are actually destroying the potential intimacy that you could have with another? The intimacy with a spouse with a friend, with a relative, with a coworker, with a neighbor? What if your critical words, your criticalness is driving a wedge if you have kids between you and your kids? What about this? What if your criticalness is actually damaging your testimony? That others hear you and hear your critical nature, your critical spirit, and, and, and they want nothing to do with your faith. Or what if your criticalness, your critical words and your critical thoughts, what if they're destroying your own soul? 
that they're preventing you from experiencing the joy and the freedom and the peace that God gives us, that he wants us to have, that you don't get to experience because of the critical spirit. Paul said, be careful. Be careful. And when you're critical, not only do you hurt you, you hurt other people, and you hurt your testimony. Proverbs chapter 12 says it this way. Uh, The author says, some people make cutting remarks. Okay, that like resonates a little more now, right? Lacerate. It's a wound. Some people make cutting remarks. In other words, they harm, they destroy. God says there's another option, but the words of the wise bring healing. Everybody say healing. The words of the wise bring healing. Some people are in the Gauged in the bad habit of cutting, of hurting, of criticizing. But wise people, the author says, are in the habit of speaking words that heal, that support, that encourage. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Everybody say helpful. Only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit. Everybody say benefit that it may benefit those who listen. So, let's do a little inventory time right now. Is what you are saying to others helping and benefiting them, or is it tearing them down and wounding them? Scan your brain, scan your life, scan your day, scan your week, scan your month. Is what you're saying helping and benefiting others or tearing them down and wounding them? Here's kind of a big thought that I hope you kind of cling to, and it kind of burns into your soul Um, today, this week, this year, you have no idea how a single word of criticism can pierce someone's soul and stick with, with them for weeks, months, years, even the rest of their life, and how it can wound them deeply. And you have no idea how God can use a single word of encouragement to build someone up to give them faith to go on, to give them the courage to step out, to try something new, to move forward, to help them find healing, to change a life. In other words, your words and my words, they have power. We have the power to cut and to wound and to disparage and to destroy. But our words, they also have the power to what? To bring life. And to bring healing, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up, the passage says, according to their needs. Not according to what you want from the interaction, but according to their needs. What will help them, what will benefit them. Uh, I stumbled across this uh, famous comedian um, on YouTube. I was watching YouTube one day and he was interviewing two professional surfers on his YouTube channel. This is about six months ago. And, and I'm watching this interaction between these two professional surfers and this comedian, and, it, and it's pretty funny. It was, it was pretty hilarious. And the comedian was just cracking up at these surfers. He was loving everything that they were saying. And he's like, man, you guys are hilarious. This is incredible. You need to start a po- your own podcast together. And they're like, what? And he's like, man. And so the interview goes on, and they're just having a good time interacting and laughing. And, and he kept saying, you guys need to start a podcast together. This is awesome. I see something in you special in you. You can do this. You should go for it. They never thought of it. But by the end of that particular podcast, they said, well, maybe one day we will. Well, last week, they just launched their podcast together. 
My guess is in their particular niche market, it's going to be quite successful. In their little niche market, they had 50,000 views like that first day. I know that doesn't mean anything in the markets that have millions, but in that type of market, that was huge. This comedian looked at these two people, and they said, I see in you. I see something special in you, and you can do it. And so he encouraged them, and he built them up according to who they were, how they were wired, how they were gifted. What if you started saying to people, I see in you? I see something special in you. What if we became a church of people, and we started an I see in you revolution? Where we start saying, man, you can do it. You should go for it. I see something special in you. On the flip side, you have no idea how much one word of criticism can tear somebody down. It happened to Billy. I'll bet you can still recall a time when somebody tore you down. For some of you, maybe that's happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, decades ago. Maybe some of you can remember something that happened when you were young. And for some of you, as you think back right now, it has still had an impact on your life to this day. And since you're recalling about a time when someone has tore into you, let me ask you, what's the worst thing you've said to somebody else? A little inventory right now. What if the worst thing that you've said to somebody else? Unfortunately, I have a few. Actually, probably more than a, a lot more than a few. And as I was just thinking about this this week, one came just roaring back into my mind. And I can remember this moment like it was yesterday. I can remember exactly where we were. I can remember exactly what everything looked like. I can remember the time of day. And I can remember our interaction. And then I can remember the words that I said. I can't repeat them. It's too embarrassing and humiliating. And those words tore into that individual. I haven't seen that person in decades. But I still remember today what I did, what I said. Our relationship was never again the same. It changed our relationship forever. You have no idea how much one word of criticism can take somebody down. And you have no idea how one word of can of encouragement can be used to build somebody up, to build faith, to bring hope, to lift up, to inspire, to elevate, to change a person's life for the better. What type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a pe person who's a life taker or a life giver? Do you want to destroy or do you want to heal? Do you want to take the life out of people and wound them and hurt them and destroy them? Or do you want to be a person who fills people with hope and support? The life takers, those are the ones who are fault finders. They're the ones who find the fault and they criticize. Unfortunately, that is status quo. That's room temperature. That's default for most people because of our sin nature. Because of our sin nature, we tend to find what's wrong before we find what's right. We tend to see what's negative before we ever see the positive. Man, it's so easy, isn't it, to be a fault finder? Man, I can't believe the picture she posted on Instagram. She says she loves Jesus, 
but she looks like she loves her body more. But you know, I'm just saying. Can you believe the way they raise their kids? I mean, if they're going to raise their kids like that, that they, they might as well send them to jail right now because that's where they're headed. The way they drive their car, man, get that Jesus fish off there. They say the dumbest things in the meetings. They make the worst decisions. Is that really the best you can do? That's all you have? Whatever it is, it's so easy to be a fault finder. And whenever you and I are fault finders, we are adopting the attributes, the characteristics, and the behavior of our enemy, the devil. We know the Bible says that he's a liar and a deceiver. But you know what the Bible also says about our enemy, the devil? It says that he is the accuser. He accuses us before God day and night. What does the devil do? He finds fault, and he tries to get you and I to do the same. Now, why is it that we're so quick to find fault? Why is it so that we're so quick to criticize and accuse? Well, for starters, we criticize because our pride causes us to think that we know what's best, that we're the self-proclaimed experts. But not only is it because of our pride, it's also our insecurity. There's another reason we criticize and we find fault. We oftentimes criticize those about the very weaknesses that are in our own lives. We also accuse and find fault because we just don't understand. We don't understand. We don't have their context. We don't know the full story. And so we let our minds wander and come up with all sorts of conclusions about what is happening. One of my driving values that I say all the time, I've said it from the stage many times, is give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because if you understood their context, if you understood their story, if you asked questions, if you were seeking clarity, you may not agree with where they landed. You may not draw the same conclusions, but at least you will have understanding, which which will cause you to not be so critical and so quick to find fault. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Start from that point. Start from the place of, help me understand. I'm curious. Help me understand. This is something I've had to work really hard to develop in my life. And the reason is because in my mind, the accusations and the fault finding and the criticizing, man, that just flows easy out of my sin nature, my pride. And so I have to tell myself, Chris, hold off, hold up, get the facts first. Chris, calm down. Chris, ask good questions. Chris, just listen. Chris, be patient. Chris, don't jump to conclusions first. Wait, listen. I can tell you this, it's predictable. Whenever in my life I have charged ahead from a place of criticism and I haven't given people the benefit of the doubt, the outcome is inevitable. When I don't ask the questions, when I don't seek clarity, when I just charge ahead, almost probably every time, it results in only one action that has to be taken by me, and that's I have to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Whenever I charge ahead with my criticism, 
and I don't slow down, and I don't try to understand somebody's story, somebody's context, I have to apologize. Why? Because my criticism lacerated, wounded, destroyed. You can be a fault finder. You can have a critical spirit, and you can feel justified in picking other people apart. And in the end, you will be lonely. You'll be alone. You'll destroy people. They won't want to be around you. You can be a fault finder. Or you can be a grace dispenser. You can be a fault finder or a grace dispenser. You can find the faults or you can see God's grace and dispense God's grace. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said this. He said, surely you have heard about the administration. A lot of different translations. You've heard about the administration. You've heard about the stewardship. You've heard about the dispensation of God's grace. Everybody say grace. God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul says this. He says, listen, I have a responsibility to steward, to administrate, to distribute, to give, to dispense, dispensation, to dispense God's grace to others. You and I have the same responsibility. The apostle Peter said it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others, you ready for this, as faithful stewards of God's grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Of God's grace in its various forms. That's incredible. That, that it's going to look different for each of us. We're each going to dispense the grace of God according to what God has given us. It's not a one-stop shop. The grace of God is going to be so broad and so beautiful as we each are faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Another translation says it this way. It says, as good servant managers, I just love that, as good servant managers of God's grace in its various forms, serve one another with the gift each of you have received. You can be a fault finder. Or you could be a good servant manager of God's grace, fault finder, or grace dispenser. So here's the question. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to distribute God's grace in your world, in your environment? If you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a business owner, if you're a manager, if you're a law enforcement officer, if you're an NGO worker or participant, if you're a political activist, if you're a student, if you're a parent, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, if you're a lawyer, if you're an athlete, if you're a social media influencer, whatever it is for you, what does it look like for you to distribute God's grace in your world, in your environment? It's going to look different for all of us. Based on our world, our environment, our circumstances, our situation, it's going to look different. But there will be Christ-like characteristics common to all of us in whatever environment we find us, ourselves. Those Christ-like characteristics like love and serving others in humility, like giving others the benefit of the doubt, like demonstrating patience and kindness. There's certain attributes that are going to be common to all of us. What does it look like for you? to distribute God's grace in whatever environment, whatever world you find yourself in. Do you want to be a fault finder? Or do you want to be a grace dispenser? I think you probably, some of you know 
Who's the most notorious fault finders, criticizers in the Bible? Man, it's the Pharisees, right? They were always finding the wrong in people. They always quick to point out people's sin and accuse and criticize. But then Jesus came along, and Jesus, the Bible says, was full of grace and truth. Jesus had the I see in you mentality. I see something special in you. And Jesus would call out their sin, but then he would offer grace upon grace upon grace to give them the hope that they could walk away from the bondage of that sin. A story you might be familiar with, there was a woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees brought her to Jesus, and what did the Pharisees do? They pointed out everything that was wrong with her. They pointed out what was wrong. They wanted to be a life taker, literally. And as they brought her before Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus knelt down and he started writing in the stand. Scholars try to think, figure out, what did, what, did they, what did Jesus write? Many scholars believe he started writing their sins in the sand. It's almost like Jesus is saying, oh yeah, you want to find fault, you Pharisees? You want to accuse? You want to cut? You want to lacerate? How about I show you all your faults, all your sins? I prefer the grace dispenser, but here I go. And Jesus starts writing in the sand, and they're peering in, looking, what's he writing? And all of a sudden, one of them looks and goes, he just wrote that sin I committed 20 years ago. If anybody sees that, I'm out of the Sanhedrin. The Bible says one by one, starting with the oldest, their list was longest. They started walking away. Jesus turns to this woman who was broken. She was full of shame. She was lacerated. She had been wounded. She was dealing with her own sin. They just exacerbated it. And Jesus says, where are your fault finders? Where are your criticizers? Where are your, your accusers? Where are those who are here to condemn you? She looked at Jesus and said, hey, they're all gone. And Jesus said to her, well, I don't condemn you. Don't keep sinning. There's a way better way. But I don't condemn you. I'm not here to criticize you. In other words, Jesus is saying to her, I offer you grace upon grace upon grace. I'm a grace dispenser. And you can find forgiveness and you can find hope and you can find life. You can find healing. You can find peace, joy, and purpose. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? You want to be a fault finder? That's what the Pharisees were. That's what our enemy, the devil, is. He's the accuser of the saints. And I'll say this, being critical, being an accuser, finding fault, that's easy. In fact, I'll say it this way, that's just plain lazy. That's lazy. It's a bad habit. It destroys you, and it destroys others. And you have no idea when you criticize your spouse, what that does to their self-esteem and to their, the intimacy that you could have. You have no idea when you're overly aggressive towards your kids how that belittles them and distances them from you. You have no idea how much your words can destroy a relationship, a career, and even a church. You can be a fault finder or... You can be like Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the giver of hope. He's the living hope. He's the dispenser of grace upon grace upon grace. What do you want to be? Words of life would be my suggestion. 
You distribute words of life. You distribute the grace of God. Words of life, words of life, words of life. You have no idea how God can use your words to build someone up, to encourage them, to give them life. I mean, I step back and I go, who are we? And we're people of God, right? The majority of us, we're people of God. And so we lead the way as grace dispensers in the world. Nobody else is going to do it. So we're the ones who lead the way. Why? Because we're the ones who have been redeemed. We're the ones who have been freed from the bondage of sin. It's us who at least have some understanding of grace that God's demonstrated towards us. So of course we're going to be the ones who lead the way and distribute grace to others. We're not going to be fault finders. Anybody can find fault. Pharisees were fault finders. The devil was a fault finder. James couldn't have been more clear when he said it this way. Do not criticize one another, my friends. It just doesn't get any more clear. Don't criticize one another. We're not fault finders. We're followers of Jesus. So we're going to speak words of healing, words of life. We're going to build up. We're going to encourage people. We're going to dispense God's grace. I see in you. I see something special in you. So what do you say? How about we be a church of grace dispensers? Is that something we can get on board with? That can be what, that that, when people think of life point, that they think that's a church full of people who dispense God's grace, who share God's grace, who distribute God's grace. That's my hope. That's my prayer for every single one of us. Not fall finders, but grace dispensers. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.